Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. So we last week we started a brand new series, uh, which we are continuing on today. Um, but this series is where each of us will take a turn and talk about a pop culture reference, you know, whether it be a book or a movie or, I don't know, a composer, I don't know, anything really that we have somehow managed to connect to our faith journeys. Um, so today we have the lovely Pastor Erica who will be talking about a book. Um, there will be points of this conversation that may stray into PG-13, but we will try to keep it as family-friendly as we possibly can. Well, thank you, Sarah, and thank you for that warning, because it is, um, the book itself would definitely be PG-13. I think the movie made from the book is at least that. Um, but the book we're going to be looking at today is called The Kite Runner um, by Khalid Hosseini. Um, if that's pronounced right, if it's not, I apologize in advance for watching Arabic names. <laughs> uh, but the book is about a, a, a young man named Amir who grows up in Afghanistan um, in the 1970s, right at the time of the Soviet Union. Kind of a few years later, the Soviet Union comes in and tries to take over Afghanistan. So there's Amir, his father Baba. Um, and then their servants, Ali and Hassan. Ali is the father and Hassan is his son. And so Amir and Hassan are kind of close in age. They kind of grow up together. Um, Amir's father, Baba, treats uh, Hassan much like a second son. Um, and so there, there's a little bit of strife that kind of goes in between them because of that. Um, but the whole point, you know, the, the, where the title comes from is that Amir is a kite fighter. And Hassan is his runner. And, and kite fighting is something that the, that the kids do in Afghanistan where they have these kites and they, they um, glue glass onto the strings and they they fight them. They, they go and, and they try to cut each other's kite strings. And whoever, um, you know, when a kite is cut down and you send a runner after it to go and capture that kite, then it becomes yours. And so... Um, so the kite runner is the person who goes and fetches the down kites and not the person necessarily mm-hmm. who does the running to get the kite airborne? Yeah, so you have the kite flyer and the kite runner. The runner goes after the down kites okay. to collect it because the runner, the flyer has cut that kite's line. Mm-hmm. And so um, Amir is um, is in a winter tournament of, of um, for this kite flying and he ends up winning the tournament, and he, he's, the last, he's the last kite flying. And as Hassan chases down that final kite that he took down, uh, he finally catches it. And Hassan's a great kite runner. He kind of intuitively knows where these kites are going to go. Uh, but unfortunately, as he's coming back with the kite, he gets cornered by one of the local bullies, Asaf, um, who not only beats him up because Hassan is... Uh, ethnic minority he's you know that's partially why they're servants in in Amir's household Um, but Asaf actually sexually assaults him in an alleyway and Amir sees all this like he chased after Hassan and he sees all this happening but he doesn't do anything to help him he saved um, Hassan from bullying before but this time he just kind of stands back and does nothing Hmm. and this guilt just lives with him because he never says anything you know 
Hassan eventually tells him about what happened, and he just pretends like he had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, this guilt gets to him so much that eventually he kind of sets up um, Hassan and his and his father Ali uh, by placing some something uh, like a, I forget if it's a watch or something in their possession, and tells his father, "Hey, this watch is missing," and they find it in their possession. Eventually, they get kicked out of the house. Yeah, it, it's really... So out of guilt for his lack of action, his solution is get rid of them, the source of the guilt, because I yes. didn't do anything. Okay. okay. Yes, exactly. Does this? I, so I've not read this book. Does this backfire horribly because then he feels even more guilty? Eventually, or yeah. Or does this like, work for a while? It, it works, I think, for a while. It's been a little while since I've read this book. Um, but, you know, some time goes by... Um, Again, this is time during the Soviet Union. Eventually, the Soviet Union gets kicked out by the Taliban. And during all this happening, Amir and his father escape to the U.S. Um, he ends up you know, spending a lot of his life in the U.S. He gets married. Um, but unfortunately, they're not able to have kids. And then he gets a, a call, a letter, something from his, his um, father's close friend, Rami, who calls him back um, to where he's at in Pakistan and Rami's got cancer, and he, Rami was trying to take care of Hassan and his father Ali, and trying to make sure that um, they were taken care of. Unfortunately, and and all the fighting and everything that happened, um, they're both killed. Um, Hassan had gotten married as well and had a son, and um, now that son's an orphan, and and Rami wants. Amir to, to get that son and, and bring him to Rami so that there's a family in Pakistan where he lives that will take care of him. It's a it's a struggle to get a, get this son out of the orphanage because they can't necessarily prove that he's an orphan because of the way his parents died mm-hmm. and everything. Um, Amir eventually gets him out of the orphanages and decides to adopt him himself because Rami ends up dying from his cancer. Um, but then he when he tries to bring him back to the U.S., there's even more problems. Um, with paperwork and everything again, because you're talking about a country at war here. Mm-hmm. Um, right before Amir is able to bring um, Sorab, um, the young boy, back to the U.S., uh, Sorab commits tries to commit suicide uh, because he's so depressed and he thinks that he's going to end up having to live his entire life in this war-torn country. Um, but they, he's a, Amir's finally able to bring him back to the states, but he he refuses to talk. Hmm. He basically becomes mute. Um, doesn't say anything. And, and he, Amir struggles to try to make a connection with him because, you know, his guilt over what happened to his friend and not doing anything to stop it. I mean, he, this is him trying to fix that guilt for himself, Mm -hmm. take care of himself, his son. And so finally he, they make a connection. They're living in an, in an Afghan community in the U S and Amir buys the son a kite and he takes him out flying and with a bunch of other other kids and the son's kite wins this kite battle and Amir goes running after the kite just like Hassan had run after mm. his kite when he was a kid and um, he gets a, si- a smile out of Sarab and mm. that's kind of how the story ends mm. Mm. so but when, when I was thinking about this series for Crazy Faith Talk and, and thinking back to this book you know, it's not impacted me necessarily in the way I do ministry, Sarah, like yours does. Um, but just the idea of how guilt and forgiveness or unforgiveness 
not only of others, but oneself has such a huge impact on, on us, um, psychologically, emotionally, physically, and how often, you know, I've seen that in pastoral ministry. I've seen that in my own life, how, how unforgiveness can really damage a person and, and the need for us to be able to find forgiveness, even if that's for ourselves. You know, cause Amir can't seek forgiveness of his, of his friend, you know, Hassan's now dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has to learn how to forgive himself for his lack of action to keep his son from getting hurt. So. There are so many points where I see like a helpful connection to our faith life. But one that's jumping out to me um, is that idea that sometimes the things that are uh, the the gravest sins of our life, to use the church's language mm-hmm. for it, are not the actions we do, but the things we leave undone. And part mm-hmm. of our tradition uh, in, in Lutheran circles is often that part of our regular worship pattern is some kind of confession uh, language uh, that that says out loud, um, it, we, we've, we've failed both in what we've done and what we've left undone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a real hard uh, idea for us to wrap our brains around, especially if our picture of sin is getting a red check mark on your permanent record every time mm-hmm. you mess up and sometimes our gut reaction is well I, okay if i if i don't do anything i can't be messing up and so i'll just and and there's a, a long long-standing tradition an unfortunate tradition at least in lutheran uh, history of quietism in times when we should have spoken up whether it was against the nazis mm-hmm. or against uh segregation or again you know, there were lots of times where we could have been the one saying no or speaking up or mm-hmm. acting and we've been afraid to we have a line similar to that in our confession before we do communion where it says we have not heard the cry of the needy mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and again it, it's pointing out that sin isn't just those things that we do that we know yeah. that we've done but we're reminding ourselves of those things that we've left undone and that's yeah. very much what happens in this story you know he was there he could have said something yeah. could even if he couldn't have stopped the assault yeah yeah. I mean, he he could have at least tried to step in. Yeah, it, it reminds me too. Even though I don't want to get way down a rabbit trail, but there's a famous quote of uh, our older brother in the faith, Martin Luther's, that often only gets half remembered. And the line is, "Sin boldly, but believe more boldly still. You mm-hmm. two are a mighty sinners." So the, the context was uh, someone is writing to Luther about some ethical question, and he's sort of like on the fence: Should I do this? Should I do this? I'm so afraid I can't make a decision because I'm worried I'm going to mess up. I'm worried I'm going to sin. And at the end of his ex- response back. Luther's like, look, at some point in life, you've got to make a decision because sometimes mm-hmm. it's worse to not act than to act. So if, if you're worried about that, you're, you're, if you're convinced this is the thing I should do, but I'm worried I might accidentally mess up or sin somehow, and mm-hmm. sin and sin boldly, but believe that Jesus got you covered even there. Um, and I, it, Luther himself, I think, uh, would have said, yeah, there are times where the worst thing to do is nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sometimes entering into something, even if you get it part wrong, is better than uh, to say, oh, I, I have to preserve myself from any being tainted or impure or doing something wrong so I can't get involved mm-hmm. at all. And sometimes you have to jump in because it's, it's worse to do nothing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, too, about the... There, there are echoes in my mind as you described the plot to um, that scene in Genesis when um, 
uh, Abraham and Sarah have cooked up the plan that, um, well, they haven't had any kids yet, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I know. Let's see if uh, Hagar will be okay with Abraham. You have a kid with Hagar, and even though you know the promise had been, no, Abraham and Sarah, you'll have a child together. Mm-hmm. No, 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 we can't trust God to... We can't wait on God's timing, so let's okay with Hagar, and then the, there Hagar does have a child, Ishmael, and uh, then when that seems to be uncomfortable for Sarah, she's like, "Well, now I don't want them around anymore, and <laughs> we've got a child way. now. Mm-hmm. We've got Isaac, so we don't need this other backup kid. Mm-hmm. Would you drive him out of the camp?" And this would have been a point for anybody in that biblical story to act like a grown up and say, "No, we got to live with this. Mm-hmm. We we made this mess." We at least have to provide and take care of Ishmael and Hagar. But instead, neither Sarah nor Abraham mm. are willing to do that. It's more like we can't deal with the guilt of this or that we don't like the consequences. Let's drive them out rather than us owning our complicity mm-hmm. in what's happened here. And I would imagine, though I don't think it's it's really specified in the book, but as Amir comes back to Pakistan and meets up with his um father's best friend and, and hears about Hassan and what happened to him and how he was killed and everything. I, I wonder if there wasn't some level of guilt yeah. added on to what happened when they were children. Right. You know, well maybe if I wouldn't have had them sent out of the house by, you know, telling father that they had stole something from us, you know, would they have come to the U.S. with us? I mean, th- these, right. this family, while they were servants to Amir and his father, were very, very close to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were... They were an ethnic minority. They were, you know, quote unquote, second class citizen in that kind of culture and, mm-hmm. and concept. But I'm wondering if there is not some, you know, adding another level of guilt, saying, "Oh man, would would Hassan still be alive today if right. we had right. not kicked him out of the house back then?" I took a class in seminary called Guilt and Shame, hmm. which mm. looked at the human condition of guilt, the things mm-hmm. that we. You know, the actions that we feel guilty for and shame, which is when guilt piles up so much that it becomes internalized to, I am a bad person because I've done these right, things. Right, so it's not just I did wrong, but I am wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, but that guilt and shame, um, you know, we always have them with us, but there are healthy levels of guilt and shame, and then there's the unhealthy, where you do much like Amir, where you are reacting poorly to Mm -hmm. try to get rid of this shame. Mm -hmm. Um, Because shame and guilt are great motivators. Right. Mm -hmm. And not always unhealthy, like you said. Right. Sometimes it's very That's the proper response if you've done something stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. if it's like, oh, I feel guilty that I ate this candy bar. Right. um, The proper response is, oh, maybe I'll have a salad for lunch. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be the healthy reaction to the Mm. guilt of eating a candy bar. Whereas, um, you know, the unhealthy reaction of, oh, I ate this candy bar. I'm a terrible human being because I definitely didn't need that candy bar. Let me go and try to throw it up. That would be the unhealthy Mm -hmm. response. Um, Not to say that you should feel guilty for eating a candy bar. Because candy bars are delicious. (laughs) are awesome. (laughs) But, um, But, yeah, that guilt and shame are motivators for our actions and mm-hmm. sometimes understanding those helps you to understand why people react in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amir was probably not an adult when no. he did this thing with the watch and got his No, I think his they father. were probably around like 12 or so. Yeah. 
So, it, pretty typical preteen. Mm -hmm. This bad thing has happened. I feel shame about it. Mm -hmm. And the way he reacted is ways that 12-year-olds know how to act. Mm -hmm. um, but that's hard to keep it in con like as an adult because you remember being 12. You remember making those active decisions. So, like, those 12-year-old actions, that's still you. That's still you doing mm -hmm. it. So, it's kind of setting off this chain reaction of, shame and more shame of this is what I did and it impacts and shapes my character mm -hmm. and um but it also sounds like the redemption arc in this story this book that I have not read is that his actions later is to try to fix these mm -hmm. which is usually the healthy mm -hmm. response yeah this reminds me too of um and maybe, maybe at least it, it to me helps clarify an idea that is present in the scriptures, especially in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, that sometimes makes us squirm. And I think maybe it, it it's honest. Uh, there, there's this idea of that sin sometimes has effects that ripple out beyond just one person, but affect a community mm -hmm. or affect generations later. Yep. And there have been times in Christian history where people have heard that kind of talk in the Bible and assumed it meant that, um, it's God directly sending, like, you sinned and therefore I hate you so much I'm going to, you know, curse your grandchildren. And it's less like God directly sending lightning bolts in that way, mm -hmm. but more that no one of our actions is isolatable and containable like mm -hmm. you can put it in a piece of Tupperware and it won't touch anything else, that our lives aren't hermetically sealed from each other. So one person's actions will have ripple effects in future generations and others sometimes suffer consequences mm -hmm. uh, that they didn't bring on by themselves but because somebody else made a poor choice or yeah acted acted selfishly or, or out of fear or whatever um, in ways similar to you know those who are raised in abusive families if that's the only pattern they've seen are mm -hmm. more likely then to pass along that abuse mm -hmm. or uh, if you're the, the, the in this story the the negative consequence of what the uh, Amir does not only affects his friend Hassan but Hassan's dad I mean it goes back upward a chain you know, yeah. like the ripple effects go in mm -hmm. all sorts of directions um, and that's an uncomfortable thing for us to admit again because we're so used to picturing sin as I do something bad I get a red mark on my permanent mm -hmm. record but it's isolatable from you and the, the Bible is much more honest, I think, about that the when when we do things that hurt other people, um, it not only is a check mark against me uh, between me and God, mm -hmm. but it's also it breaks relationship between me and you, and then like it fractures like a piece of glass in all sorts of directions, um, and now all kinds of things are destroyed or, or ruined or, or broken, and that's that means that as we think about what redemption looks like, it's not just what thing do I have to do to, for me to get right with God again. But how do we repair all these relationships that are now broken? And, and to me, thinking back to the series we did a couple episodes ago about new creation and God does a new thing, that um, that's a really important piece of the Christian story. That it's not just that Jesus offers um, a, a way to erase my personal red check marks on my you know personal heavenly bank account, mm -hmm. but that God's vision is to restore all the ways we're broken in this sort of collective communal way that we aren't really good at thinking about or talking about Are there other things from the book that uh, were, have stayed with you or, or poke at you or think are, are important for us to consider today, Erica? As, as I'm thinking back to the book, and again, it, it's been a while since I read it, but I remember um, you know, the relationship between Amir and his father is, is a complicated one. Mm -hmm. Partially, there's, there's no mom in the picture. Mom, ha mom died. Um, or no, I, 
either mom died or mom left. I forget who whose story that went with. But she's not present. But she's not present. But um, he's always trying to live up to his father's standards. Hmm. And I think, again, it goes back to that guilt and shame. Yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know much about the Afghan culture um, or even Middle Eastern cultures in general. But there, there are definitely certain cultures in our world which are which are very guilt and shame kind of oriented. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wondering if, you know, him trying to live up to his father's standards and, and him winning that kite tournament was a, which is a huge thing. He was hoping that his father would finally say, you know, I'm proud of you, son. Um, you know, maybe added another, just again, another layer to that guilt and that shame of what happened then with uh, uh, Hassan and everything else. That is an interesting can of worms open too. that. Even though the story focuses on Amir's, decisive choice not to speak up or stop or help his friend Hassan there's the question of like what things going backwards have shaped him be, to be the kind of person who in that moment is uh, e- either afraid of stepping is he afraid of getting beaten up himself is he afraid of losing the moment to celebrate his victory if this turns out to be really about you know his friend uh, but like yes yeah, is, is there something that his that was a part of the way his father had shaped his world that his in in that in that moment his response is to freeze and well I won't do anything so I won't mess up rather than to act uh, and mm-hmm. that that's a that's an important question maybe um, that the the choices we make that are decisive choices they don't happen in a vacuum either we've been shaped by everything that's come mm-hmm. before us too um there's another piece that, in, in it's kind of hazy in my recollection of the story, but it comes. I think it's a bit of wisdom from the dad in the story, from, mm-hmm. from uh, Amir's father, uh, who says something early on uh, in passing about how all the commandments. I'm not sure out of, in what tradition they're talking about the commandments. If there's some parallel in in Islam or whatever their faith would have been in, in this story, but that all all sins are basically variations on stealing. He says, mm-hmm. and so obviously taking something from somebody is stealing, and lying about somebody is stealing their reputation, and lying to somebody is stealing their right to the truth. It was it was a really interesting idea to me um, that that stayed with me from whatever other stuff that this this book did for me that that framed the idea of why why things are wrong in a, in a whole different light that yeah. sometimes we forget uh, again sometimes our picture is that god just sort of beams random rules down and says these are my rules you have to live with them if you obey them you'll go to heaven if you don't obey them out you go mm-hmm. um and that there's a sense of no we there are reasons why these things matter to god and there's a reason that it matters that we not lie to each other there's a reason that we not defame each other there's mm-hmm. a reason for, and that it's it has a great deal to do with the uh, God's love for the neighbor, not just that God uh, has this sort of sense of uh, I, I get to make arbitrary rules and you have to live with them or else you'll go to hell, but more like God loves the other person as much as God loves me. And if mm-hmm. I can recognize that, then it's because God loves the person I would otherwise be sinning against or taking their right to the truth from or something. That that sense of interconnectedness is an important one. And as soon as you mentioned that, Steve, I remember you know, that being part of the story and now it makes me want to go back and reread this again and read it from like this kind of idea, looking at it hmm. from a, you know, taking that theological bent. Because mm-hmm. uh, in last episode you mentioned in the introduction, you know, this is not written to be theology. I mean, right. It's, let alone Christian theology. Right. Because I'm pretty sure, as you said, um, if there is a faith here, it's Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Islam, which has, it shares some things with the Christian right, faith. Right, right, right. Um, but in other ways it's very different sure. from our faith as well. Um, so I'm, I'm be interested someday to go back to this book and look at it kind of from that perspective and see what else I might be able to pull out from it. Yeah, yeah. I I think too. Uh, um, 
culturally and historically, when this book came out, it was helpful for people. I mean, this this came and was dominating uh, bestseller charts in the wake of September 11th and the war we fought in Afghanistan, the war that is still going on. Um, and for a lot of people, I think, opened their eyes to like, oh, I had not even been paying attention to this part of the world. I didn't even, even know they had a history of stories or called. And like, th- th- one of the things I think is valuable about books like this is it has a way of like opening our eyes to go, oh, there are people there. I mean, we have this way of mm-hmm. picturing like, well, people who are like me, who I see every day, they're people. But, you know, halfway around the world, that's just, you know, them or that's just mm-hmm. the blue country on my globe or, the, you know, and like these are stories with faces and lives and this reminder of this common humanity mm-hmm. that whatever ways we're different, there are some things that are inescapable about about humanity and that the struggles that that he deals with with guilt and times he could have acted up acted out or spoken up and didn't um, resonate with ways that were put in those situations when do we speak up yeah we forget that uh, before we went to war with the Taliban so the Afghans said, right. went to war with the Taliban right. and they were at war with the Soviet Union before that and you know like there's this long history of war in the Middle East that does not involve the U.S. at all. Right, right, right. And since we're so concerned about our involvement in that, we forget that, oh, wait, they've been fighting themselves and, and others and, long and, before we ever got into it. And that in some ways, from from their vantage point, this has got to look like you know the, the, the letterhead changes, but it's just one foreign superpower after mm-hmm. another trying to take us over. And, and to one degree, like, how much, how, 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 how often that pattern repeats itself. Yeah. It reminds me of that important life lesson from the movie The Princess Bride, never get involved in a, in a land war in Central Asia. <laughs> Which is a, sort of a side note, uh, but good advice. Never get involved in a land war in Central Asia. And also, never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> And I, I'm not even picking that for my for uh, my pop culture piece. Maybe we'll have to do another episode. Just we can do a, whole, a whole series on the Princess Bride. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, are there other things that you wanted to make sure we talked about? I don't have anything. Any other questions you guys have? Sounds like a really good book. So, Although now I know the ending. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. So uh, one more time, the title of the book, at least for folks who are wanting to follow up on their own, "The Kite Runner" um, by Khalid Hosseini. Um, if you just look up the height runner, you'll find the author and everything. So Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing, Erica, and uh, hope you join us next time here on Crazy Face Talk. See you guys. Bye.